Our theme for 2021 is taken from Hebrews 4.16. It's an invitation for all of God's people to come. That God has given us just this, this wonderful, this wonderful, considerable permission. We have permission from the God of glory to come into His presence and pray. We saw last week as we introduced it that uh, there, were, there were four or five things leading up to that that it, re- it reminds us that we could be in different stages of our Christian life and some of those stages could be stages of decline. And we saw the believers that Paul wrote to in the book of Hebrews that the, at the time he got to Hebrews chapter 4, they were, that they were in the first two stages of decline. And so he gives them a word of admonition. He said the first thing we do, we must fear lest at any time we should, we should uh, you know, fall short of the promises of God. And I want to tell you right now, as we start this new year, you want to start with a bang. You want to start with just an impetus. You want to get off to a great start, and you want to go with a gusto. There's a book that I read years ago entitled The First 90 Days. Probably a good book for some of you to read just to kind of glance to it. It's a reminder that whenever you start a project, whatever you do, that the first 90 days makes all the difference, how much emphasis you put in behind it. And it's just a great thought for you there that when you start something, start it strong and be zealous about what you do. Don't start it slow. Start it very strong and we need to be careful that we don't let things slip. And, and then we're, we're told not just to fear, but we're told later on in Hebrews 4.11, we need to labor. We need to be diligent about the things of God. The, the Bible says, let us therefore labor. And we need to be diligent. We need to be diligent about God's word. We need to be diligent about the transparency we have. And then he said later on, not only must we be diligent, but we must hold fast to our faith. He said, let us hold fast on the profession of our faith. We need to hold fast to our doctrines of what we believe. And, you know, these are days and times where things are drifting and shifting. And we have to be careful that we hold our anchor very tight. And then he said, that we can, we can be encouraged because we have Jesus, because we see Jesus, who's the great high priest. But beyond all that, beyond having the fear, and beyond having the diligence, and beyond having Jesus, he tells us we must pray. And that's why we have this, this promise here, because we must pray. God's people need to pray. You must pray. I must pray. We have to realize that if we're not praying people, we're powerless people. We need prayer in order to gauge us with God. You know, I'm telling all of our prayer group leaders, and I remind you today, that through our, our prayer emphasis here, there's really three very simple goals. Number one is we are leading, uh, leading through prayer groups and encouraging people to pray. You know, you're going to have me come up to you every now and then and say, did you pray today? Did, what did you pray for? What's going on in your prayer list? And number one, the first thing we want to do is we want to engage. We want people to engage. We want people who are not praying to engage. We want them to get involved with praying. We want you, if you're a shy person and you have difficulty in praying, we're praying this year you'll get a breakthrough when it comes to praying. We want them to engage. But secondly, we want us to, through prayer, we want to evangelize. I believe in evangelistic prayer. I believe that God answers prayer and says, so in fact, I've got a message that God put on my heart. I'm going to be working on here in a few weeks. From the book of Philippians about all the people that Paul led to Christ in Caesar's household. It's a very interesting thought that's found there in the very last two verses in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. A great thought I'm going to develop and preach about why prayer precedes salvation of sinners. And so we're going to see some things about that. But uh, we must pray because if, if we're not praying, the, we're just under attack. We're vulnerable to attack by the devil. We need to pray. And so we, we realize that. And the Lord encourages us to pray. And so as we go through the Bible, every now and then I'll stop and I'll preach a message on prayer. And I'll, I'll We'll talk about the promotion of prayer, and as we read through the Bible, we're going to see the Bible promotes prayer from Genesis to Revelation, and as we read through the Bible, we're going to learn many of the principles of prayer. One of my pastor friends asked me if he, he said, to, he said, I'm very excited about your theme, and I'm just kind of following along, and he said, Brother Fong, I hope that maybe you might be encouraged to put some of this in print, because he said, we'd even make our publishing company available for you to do that, and I said, well, I'll pray about that, brother, we'll see what we can do, but I want to tell you, there's some great principles of prayer. I believe there's some principles of prayer that many of us in our congregation have yet to realize and understand. For instance, do we understand what it means to pray in the Holy Ghost. Do we understand, have we really spent time in prayer where we really understand where true intercessory prayer is? 
Have we done, have we experienced doing imp, imp, uh, prayer, the prayer of importunity, of praying extended periods of time? I mean, there, there are many, many principles of prayer that we must learn and we must grasp and take a hold of. And as we study the Bibles, we're going to see the practice of prayer. That We're going to see prayer mentioned over and over again. I was going through the book of Psalms the, the, uh, a few weeks ago, and I got to Psalms 143, and I just wrote out some thoughts there about the a prayer of David there, about the practice of prayer there. And then we're going to see some people in prayer. We're going to see one tonight. Daniel was a man of prayer. Samuel was a man of prayer. John the Baptist was a man of prayer. Elijah was a man of prayer. I mean, you go through the Bible. Hannah was a man, was a woman of prayer. I mean, you go, David was a man of prayer. I mean, you go through the Bible, we see many, many examples of men and women of prayer. With all that, we need the power of prayer. We need God's power when we pray. We're going to see that tonight. The passage of Scripture that encourages us about prayer and the God who answers our prayer. We've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. I have three things I want to tell you tonight. Number one, would you write this down? I want you to notice the kingdom problem. Verses 1 to 13, the kingdom problem. The timing of our passage is the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Babylon is a great world power at that time. You want to find out that if the Bible is true and the Bible is correct and factual, history proves the Bible and the Bible proves history. He's the king. We read over here in uh, the book of Jeremiah that how... The king, and here in Daniel chapter 1, how the king of Babylon took some of the best young men out of Judah. And he brought them into his kingdom with the goal of brainwashing them and basically assimilating them into the, into the Chaldean way of life. And four young men stand out in this, among all the young men that went there. Four young men who didn't compromise. Four young men who, who, who held true to their faith and belief in God in a pagan nation. You've got to bear in mind, they're thousands of miles away from Israel. When you go from Israel all the way up to the Euphrates River, all the way up to where Babylon was at, they mean they're almost a thousand miles away. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 17, it describes these young men. It says, as for these four children, they were just young people. Teenagers that were settled in their faith. Listen, I believe you don't have to be an old person to be settled in your faith. You can be settled in your faith as a teenager. Somebody help me with that tonight. I believe you can be settled in your faith even as a young child. Listen, young Samuel got the Word of God in his heart, and the Bible describes him that he did let none of the Word of God fall to the ground. Don't buy the lie while my child has to make their own decision. Train up a child in the way in which he should go, that when he's old he shall not depart from it. Now that doesn't mean they may not go a different way and make their own choices, but at least you've done your part to train them up through repetition. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, the Bible says, and as for these four children, God gave them, notice this, God gave them, hey, thank God tonight for whatever God's given you, Amen. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. You're going through school. That ought to be a verse you claim right there. God give me knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Parents, as you pray over your children as they're in school, that ought to be your prayer request. Lord, give them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And the Bible says, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now they knew what God gave them, but they didn't boast about it. They knew what God blessed them with, but they didn't make much ado about it. Daniel knew that he had this ability to interpret dreams, but you don't find anywhere in chapter 1 that Daniel's interpreting dreams. He just knew that God had given him that ability that nobody else had. It was a supernatural ability. These men were brought into the inner court of the king, was pleased with them. 
And the Bible says in verse 19, among them all, there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that, that stood before the king. And I love what it says in verse 20 there. If you look at it, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, it makes mention there. It says, in all the matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, it says he found them ten times better than all the astrologers and magicians that were in his realm. Not about you, that excites me. When you can find some of God's people that are ten times better than the people in the world, Amen. That says something right there. When God's people are ten times better than the people of the world. That, we ought to strive for excellence. We ought to prove the things that are excellent. Don't, don't be someone that is just going to kind of follow the crowd and be used to the status quo. Be someone like these four young men who decide that we're going to be ten times better than all the rest. And by the way, that's a great ambition for us to have. God's people should be filled with ambition. If you're around lazy friends, drop the lazy friends and get some ambition. Amen? Get rid of those lazy friends. Get ambition in your heart. Decide you're going to be somebody for God. And so we see now that we get to chapter 2, and we notice that that this king has a dream, and with this dream there's some unpleasant images. Look at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break for him. He had a bad dream. No, he had a bad dream. He couldn't remember what the dream was. And it was such a bad dream that it woke him up. The Bible describes it troubled him. He wanted to know what was the dream and what does it mean. His sleep broke from him. He woke up. I can imagine his pulses racing. His heartbeat is accelerated. He's got all these thoughts. He may be even in a sweat. The National Sleep Foundation indicates that over 20% of the American population has some form of sleep disorder. A sleep disorder is when you're sleep deprived and constantly need of quality rest. All of us know that a lack of sleep is bad for your health. Your brain is unable to produce a sufficient amount of melatonin. Your immune system weakens. You're more susceptible to disorders and sicknesses and things of that nature. Sleeplessness is a, an indication of unresolved anxiety or burden in your life. Sleeplessness might be an indication of a spiritual stronghold in your life. Sleeplessness is a problem among Christians and non-Christians alike. Anxiety, worry, fears, sorrows, heartaches, conflicts, and a burdened, burdened heart rob people from a happy and peaceful life. Listen, there was an unsafe king, at that time perhaps the greatest king on planet earth, and he had this dream, and his soul troubled him, and he woke up, and the Bible says his sleep went from him. We see this man had these unpleasant images. Now we know about that later on because Daniel comes alongside and he interprets the dream, but you can imagine that, the, that this king is trying to, trying to just imagine his mind, what was that dream? And he was just bothered by what was that dream and what does it mean and what was that dream and what does it mean and was bothering his heart. He had these unpleasant images. And so notice the, he calls all of his magicians and astrologers together in verses 2 to 13. And notice, if you would, the unfit interpreters. He calls all these men, they're called the wise men of the kingdom. They all stood before him. It was a command, it was an edict from the king. He said in verse 3, I've dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. So these men, they said, well, that's not a problem. Tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, that's not the way it works. I don't remember the dream. You tell me the dream, you tell me the interpretation. And they're kind of like, what? 
They said, nobody's ever done that before. In fact, they said, king, there's no, no king that's ever said that before. I think it's in verse 10 or 11 or something like that. He says, no king, is, nobody's ever done that before. He says, they, so they come back to him again. He, they said, tell us, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he got mad with them. I mean, he was quick tempered. Look at verse 5. He says, the thing is gone from me. He said, if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your house will be made a dungle. You know what he basically said? I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to dice you up into pieces, and I'm going to turn your houses into fertilizers. That's what he said. I'm, going to just, I'm just going to wipe all of you. I'm going to wipe the kingdom out of, of, of Wiseman. He says, I know your ploy. You're just trying to buy time so that you can make up some kind of story to tell me something that will appease my conscience and appease what I have. He says, I know what you're doing. He says, now you've got to tell me the dream, and you've got to tell me the interpretation thereof. And they got a little frustrated with him. They said, they said but king, nobody can see this thing. And he said, you don't understand. This thing is gone from me. So notice verse 9. He says, but if you will not make known to me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show the interpretation. Now, these men, they got up, and notice what they said in verse 11. These men said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Listen to me tonight. I say this so often. I've been in doctor's offices with church members and church attendees. I've been in psychologist's offices. I've been in ER wards. I've been in all those places. Let me tell you something. There's not a man that can diagnose your spiritual problem. They said, there's not a man that, upon the earth that can show the king's matter. It's an amazing thing. People have a problem. They don't go to God. They go to the doctors and they go to the medical professionals. They go to the psychologist. And I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You should do that. But the last resort is they pray after they've exhausted everything else. They, else they, they, they get to the place where they consume alcohol and narcotic substances, the hopes that they can withdraw from their anxieties and their troubles. Listen, they got to the place these men said, listen, sir, you don't understand. There's not a man on earth that can show the king this matter. Listen, there are just some things the world cannot answer. and There are just some things the men of this world cannot interpret. They just don't understand. And they can tell you all they want. You can watch the news and you can watch conservative news or whatever you want until you're blown in the face. They don't have the answer for this world. This book has the answer for this world. And notice they said in verse 12, they said, verse 11, they said, for it is a rare thing that the king requires. There's none other that can show up before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Even they said, Lord, it's not, it's not possible. And it was impossible. It was impossible. Tell me the dream. And tell me the interpretation thereof, that's impossible. And so the king, he, he just, he's upset. Look at verses 12 and 13. There's an unreasonable indignation. It's completely unreasonable. Proverbs 19.12 says that a king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion. Verse 12 says, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows be saying, Hey, chapter 1, we hardly had a few weeks go by. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had been promoted to this great status before the king. In fact, chapter 1 concluded saying that Daniel continued in that status even to the first year of King Cyrus. And they were, they were ten times better than all these men. But he puts out this decree. He's not even thinking about Daniel. He's not even thinking about Hananiah. He's not even thinking about Mishael and Azariah. 
right? He's just thinking about this. All these wise men are a bunch of crackpots. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're just getting, they're getting paid. They're getting, a, they're getting a, a, a lavish salary from the government in Babylon. And they can't interpret my dream. They can't answer what's going on. So he said, you know what? I tell you what, I'm going to do this. You're all going to die. I'm putting out a decree. All of you are going to die. Put a guard, the captain of the guard, Arioch in charge. He said, Arioch, you're in charge. You're going to go out through the kingdom. You're going to find every magician, every astrologer, every sorcerer, every soothsayer, every one of these wise men, so-called wise men. I want you to kill these men. There is an edict. Every one of them that have this designation. By the way, they all, it was a coveted position to have them. He says, you know who it is. Here's the list. Every one of them, you go out through the kingdom, and I want you to kill every one of them. There was unreasonable indignation. It's not just kings that are angry. People are angry. We live in an angry, hostile world. Road rage. Park your car wrong in a parking lot. You don't know if the guy next to you is going to take a gun and shoot you. Reasonable indignation. The kingdom had a problem. The kingdom had a problem. The king had a problem. The wise men had a problem. So we go down to chapter 4, to, 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 a little bit further. Notice verse 14. Daniel found out in verse 13 to 14 that the decree went out to go after Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Daniel found out, notice verse 14, it starts off as saying, The Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. You might write this down. Proverbs 16, 14 makes a wonderful statement to us. Proverbs 16, 14 says, The wrath of a king is as the messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. A wise man will pass away. Now, I wrote a devotion. You'll read this week if you subscribe to God Morning Devotion. I wrote a devotion off of that that will show up later this week. It's entitled Crisis Leadership. Because you're going to see in Daniel here, crisis leadership that's involved there. If you're involved in any kind of management, you're involved in a situation where things get out of control, you may want to read the devotion this week to help you do, to help juggle, to know how to deal with crisis leadership situation. We find that all through the Bible. Hey, Paul exemplifies crisis leadership when he's in Acts chapter 27, when he's on the storm. And we see Daniel right here, he's going to exemplify uh, crisis leadership. And so Daniel here, he finds out about it. And, he, and, he, and the Bible says he answered with counsel and wisdom. Now, I don't know if he knew about Proverbs 16:14, but definitely as we read through this passage of Scripture... He was a wise man that sought to pacify the king. And he was filled, he answered with counsel and wisdom the Arioch. He says, now I know you've gone forth to do this, but he asked this question. Why is the decree of, so hasty from the king? And Arioch told Daniel what had happened there. Daniel said, boy, were you in trouble? And so we go from a kingdom problem, and now the problem goes to, we have this problem that's been now presented, it's kind of kicked itself up to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The other three don't know about it yet, but Daniel hears about it, and the Bible says he answers with counsel and wisdom, because he wanted to approach this matter very wisely. He wanted to make sure that he didn't get the king more angry, because listen, one more thing, and they would, that would have just expedited even further the killing off of all the wise men. So Daniel takes control of the situation, and notice we see a call to prayer. A call to prayer. An impossible situation. Read this over and over again. This is an impossible national situation. It's a national crisis. The king has lost it. He has a dream. He can't interpret it. His sleep is broken from him. He wants to know what this dream is all about. 
They want to know what's the answer behind this. Nobody can answer this. And he's been told by his wisest men, there's no man on earth that can tell you this dream and the interpretation that's thereof. It was an impossible situation. Hey, listen, thank God there were some godly men in the kingdom of Babylon because, listen, impossible situations are where God rises up and God shows himself strong. Call to prayer. Problems don't need more council meetings. Councils don't need, problems don't need more strategizing and talking about it. Problems require a call to prayer. Listen, you have a marriage problem, you better go to prayer. You have a parenting problem, you better go to prayer. You have an emotional problem, you better go to prayer. You have an anxiety problem, you better go to prayer. You have a coworker problem, you better go to prayer. You got a neighborhood problem, you better go to prayer. You got a church problem, you better go to prayer. Notice some things about this prayer as we get to verses 14 to, I guess, verse 20 or so, 14 to 18. Notice we see an assembly in verse 17. Daniel went to his house and he made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Did you notice he didn't go to the other wise men? He went to men just like himself. He's doing what Acts chapter 4 verse 23 says, when Peter and John were censured by the Sanhedrin and they said, you will make no mention of this name anymore. And the Bible tells in Acts chapter 4 verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. Can I tell you something tonight that probably should, should, shouldn't amaze you, but probably will amaze you? You know when they went to their own company, what that said? It didn't say that they went to their unsafe family members. It didn't say they went to their best friend. It didn't say they went to some chat room somewhere. It didn't say they went to Facebook. They went to their own company. That own company means they went to the local New Testament church. They actually formed together. This is one of the very first prayer groups we find in the Bible. They went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders said to them. They went to, they went to people that understood the situation. They went to people that would pray. Now listen, if you're going to have some friends in 2021, you need to have some friends, you need to have associations in the church of people that pray, that people know to get a, get a hold of God, that people that you know are earnestly sincere. Listen, the worst thing to do is to ask somebody to pray for you who hasn't prayed to God in the last 24 days. That's not going to help you. Pray for me. Pray for me. That's what, that's what that old king said in, in 1 Kings 13. He got mad at the prophet of God. And the prophet of God just said something to him. And he said, remember his hand all shriveled up? His hand got all shriveled up like this. And, and he said, oh, pray for me. You know why? Because he can't pray for himself. People that say pray for me, normally they're not praying for themselves. Listen, you better learn how to pray for yourself this year. Listen, these men came together. They came to their own company. They prayed together. Oh, listen, this evening, I remind you tonight, as we look at Hebrews 4.16, it's a call to congregations to pray. He said, let us. Oh, let me tell you tonight, one of the compelling reasons to be part of a prayer group is because we are a praying church, and we're a church that desires to get a hold of God, and we do get a hold of God, and we will get a hold of God. We're praying for God to do some great, mighty things which we cannot do. But listen, you've got to, get, you've got to find yourself some friends, and you ladies need to find yourself some lady friends and some men friends, and your men need to find yourself some men friends and you've got to get the hold of God and get to that place of prayer the Bible says he went to his own company they prayed individually but recognized the power of praying listen Matthew chapter 18 tells us this in verse 19 and 20 
Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Brother and sister in Christ, you're suddenly said, when two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, we come together for prayer. There's more than just synergy. There's more than the fact that we agree on Jesus. There's more than all that. We have the fact that when two or more are gathered together in his name, there's something unique that the Lord does in answering to prayer. These men understood the dynamic of prayer. They understood that when two or more got together and four of them got together and they met for prayer and they sought out God's face and they said, God, there are lives that are at risk and lives will be taken. Lord, you've got to do something. These four men came to prayer and I'm going to tell you something. We don't have a major crisis in our church right now, but before whatever ever comes, we need to go to prayer and we need to be part of a prayer group and we need to be praying families. We need to be praying Christians that we get on our faces and knees and know that God is a God who answers prayer. We see the assembly, but notice the appeal in verse 18. Everything in verse 18, as I read this with you tonight, is everything is incorporated in verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Daniel goes to his friends, Hananiah, Mishan, Azariah's companions. He said that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret. And that Daniel and his fellows, fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is a pure Old Testament example, Hebrews 4.16. Would you notice this impossible situation? First thing they did in this appeal, they came boldly to the throne of grace. That's what they did. They didn't sit around like a bunch of sissy Christians. Oh, you know, we got such a bad problem. And uh, maybe, maybe, we should, maybe, maybe, maybe we should call the prayer works line here at his Baptist church and ask them to pray for us. No, they didn't do that. Amen. Now, thank God we have prayer works, and we'll pray for you. But I'm going to tell you what. You know what? They went together. They, they prayed to the God of heaven over and over again. Daniel refers to the God of heaven. They knew they had to come boldly to the throne of grace. They knew that they had to come with clarity and with their hands lifted up. Listen, the Bible says something about lifting up our hands before God. The, men, the Bible says men ought to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. The lifting of our hands expresses that we are needy people and greatly in need of God. The lifting of our hands. And he says holy hands, hands that are cleansed, lives that are pure and cleansed before God and sin has been confessed that men ought to pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting listen they could have easily got upset with the king and said well we're going to go to prayer and pray for God to defeat that king they said no we're going to go to God in prayer because number one that king has a problem that somebody needs to answer number two there are the lives of hundreds of wise men in this kingdom even though they don't believe what we believe we have to pray for them we need to appeal to God that their lives not be taken I mean even there in the midst of a pagan kingdom Daniel and his four, three friends had a burden for lost souls to be saved and I'm saying right now, they had boldness. They came to the God who is. They came uninhibited. They came to God. They desired the mercies of God. Listen, when we come to God in prayer, whether individually in a group, we must come boldly to the throne of grace. But notice they desired the mercies of God in heaven. I'm going to make a statement to you. Listen to this, and you might write this down. They said, Daniel went in and desired, he said, the, the Bible says in verse 18, that they would desire mercies. Write this down. Asking for mercy is the critical first step in putting us on praying ground. Asking for mercy is the critical first step of putting us on praying ground. Because if God senses from you that you think you can solve the problem, then you, you're not asking God for his mercies. That's a biblical truth. Asking for mercies is a critical first step. To putting us on praying ground. How many believe tonight you need to be on praying ground? Amen. You can spend an hour, two hours praying and go nowhere if you're not on praying ground. 
You need to be on praying ground. Ask for mercies. Hebrews 6, 4, 16 says we need to ask for mercy. Mercy is asking for what we do not deserve. I don't deserve to be saved. How many agree with that tonight? Amen? I don't deserve his mercies. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve to answer prayer. I don't deserve to be married. I don't deserve to have children. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to be, I don't even deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be a part of this church. Listen, tonight, we ought to come to God for mercies because mercy is asking God for what we don't deserve. Asking for mercy is pleading with God to be loving, having pity upon us. Asking for mercy is realize we deserve the judgment and wrath of God. Listen, asking for mercy brings the resources of heaven. They desired the mercies of the God of heaven. Third, they sought for grace in their time of need. That was a need. Not just the other men of the kingdom. All four of their lives were at risk too. Amen? I mean, they're, they're concerned that they're going to be killed. They were at risk. They were at the place of need. They needed God to do what no man could do. They needed God. They, listen, Daniel said, I, listen, I need help. Now, Daniel knew in chapter 1, verse 17, that God, that the Bible describes it this way, that God had given him understanding in all visions and dreams. All visions and dreams. I mean, to underscore the word all. You know, Daniel wasn't pompous and cocky. Daniel said, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, I need help. The weight is on my shoulder. I told the king to give me some time, and I'll interpret that dream. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that God will give me what I need? Last night, I contacted some of our men. I said, guys, I just felt a heavy burden last night. I was preparing for just praying over and thinking about the message. I said, hey, would you spend some time to just pray for me for tomorrow night, for tomorrow morning, for tomorrow night? I just feel that and... And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for prayer, but that's what he did. He just said, hey, we need some help. I need some help. He says, and he said, listen, I need grace to help in time of need, because I, I guarantee you that Daniel, Daniel was probably just, he had these mo- probably had these moments like you and I, where he felt like he was going to come apart there. And grace to help in time of need is when God wraps his cables of grace around us and keeps us from falling apart. And listen, when, when it's your problem and it's your anxiety and your need, listen, you feel like you just feel like an emotional bag that's about to fall apart. You feel like you're going to melt and come apart there. And God has to wrap his arms around us to assure us that he loves us and he's got everything under control. He's not going to let us fall apart. And he's going to give us strength for the day and strength for our need. And that's what Daniel was praying for, that God would give them grace in their time of need. They, need, they needed that interpretation. But notice, fourthly, as you look at verse 18, notice they prayed specifically and in faith. The second part of verse 18 says that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise in Babylon. Now, they're basically, the request they made was twofold. Number one, help Daniel to interpret the dream. That's impossible praying. Number two, Lord, don't let us perish or let the rest of the wise and perish. They were asking God to do what only God can do. Now, can you imagine what would happen in our world if a church like ours prayed like that? Can you imagine what would happen in missions? Can you imagine what would happen in our area? Can you imagine what happened? Can you imagine what would happen with the explosive growth? Salvation of souls, the changed lives, the hardest of sinners getting saved. I mean, you notice here they prayed specifically. They believed that God could. They believed that God is. They were direct and specific. They prayed in great faith. They knew without faith it's impossible to please God. I mean, they prayed a prayer of faith that, 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 is, that embodies what the Bible speaks about there in Hebrews eleven six. They believed that God is and God can. And they said they knew that God would. And listen, as we look at that, we see the answer. Look at verse 19. Then, we're not told how long they prayed. 
But I think because they met all the elements of prayer and they desired the mercies of God, which put them on praying ground. Then was a secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. You know, sometimes we pray. And God kind of just gives us the liberty to go along. But the answer doesn't come. And we pray again. And he gives us the liberty to go along. And it doesn't happen again. Until we realize by the third or fourth time, we really didn't pray biblically. I've, I've got an example that I'm going I'm to show you in one of my upcoming messages. God answered their prayer. Amen. Is that what praying is all about? Amen. I mean, is that why you pray? Is that why you pray? Come on, somebody help me with that. Is that why you pray? And we ask it, we can receive. We seek so that we can find. We knock so it can be openness. And sometimes, listen, we've just got to knock a little more loudly. Amen. You've got to knock a little bit more and you've got to ring the bell a little bit more and you've got to seek a little bit harder and you've got to ask a few more times. But the Bible says that it tells us in Matthew seven eleven that if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your heavenly father give good things to them that ask of him? Read the principles of Matthew 7, 7, 11. He uses very simple, very simple, down-to-earth things. He says, listen, would a, would a, would a father give, if his, if his son came to him, if he asked for bread, would he give him a stone? I mean, very simple elements there. If he said, if, he, if his son should ask for, for fish, will he give him a serpent? Of course not, he wouldn't do something like that. Do you think God's going to give you something opposite of what you're asking for? Don't you know that your Heavenly Father loves you? Don't you understand that your Heavenly Father cares about you? And don't you understand your Heavenly Father wants to hear you pray? And don't you know that the Heavenly Father loves to hear your voice? Lift it up there morning, evening, and noon. And don't you understand that God wants to put impossible situations in your life and my life so that we can see Him at work in our life? Don't you understand today that we have a God who wants to answer prayer? Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel. Let me tell you tonight, Deuteronomy 29, 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He doesn't have to answer your secrets. You have to tell Daniel the dream. But God had a bigger plan. We have the privilege of reading all the book of Daniel to understand how that plan unfolds. But in your life and mine, sometimes as we see things happen, that secret thing before us, we can only see one step. Hey, listen, God only needs to give you enough light for the very next step. That's all you need. It's all you need. There are no secrets that can be withheld from God. Daniel got the secret revealed. And we read this chapter here. Notice, and we get a little bit further into this. We notice verses 31 to 49. It's an elaborate dream that this king has. It's a dream about this monstrous image. And this monstrous image represented four kingdoms. And the first of four kingdoms was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. And then it foretold about things to come. And that's what Daniel's going to tell later on. It foretold him about things to come. It says there are future things that are going to unfold. It told him about the kingdom that would succeed him, which would be the Medo-Persian kingdom. It told him later on about the kingdom that would succeed that one, which would be called the Grecian kingdom. And by the way, he even described the Medo-Persian kingdom as being inferior to the Babylonian kingdom. But the reason why they defeated them is because they became... Became, the Babylonians became their own worst enemy by that 70th year that Israel was in captivity, or Judah was in captivity. 
succeeding the Grecian captivity. Which, by the way, the Grecian, the Grecian kingdom was led by Alexander the Great, which everybody knows about Alexander the Great. Great story, great, great, just a lot of great, great lessons on leadership about Alexander the Great and so forth. There, as a young man, he conquered the known world at that time. And then, when he felt like there were no more worlds to conquer, he killed himself by going into a drunken stupor. Listen, and then he was succeeded by the Roman Empire. I mean, it's all right there. That the image he saw was this monstrous image that that was embedded in his mind. He just couldn't figure it out. And he told him about all those things. And I'll say something else about these kingdoms, but. It was, a, it was a kingdom, it was a kingdom dream that he had about future kingdoms and kingdoms to come. And as he saw these things, he started to realize them, the elaborateness by which Daniel, uh, Daniel just described it to him. It was, so, it was so real, he could see this image in his mind. Daniel didn't take a paintbrush, and Daniel didn't take a canvas and draw it out. He explained it in such colorful terms. He made it understandable to this king so he could understand what was going on. Hey, that's what preaching the word of God is. The preaching, the expository preaching the word of God is to take something that's very difficult and make it understandable and create a colorful idea in our mind of how much God loves I mean, just think about the fact about the sowing of the seed and think about the fact of the feeding of the multitudes. And you think about all these different stories we have in the Bible about a man going to the River Jordan, dipping himself seven times the River Jordan so that he could be cleansed. I mean, we look at all these wonderful pictures or, or of a young boy with just a, with a sling and a stone killing a nine foot nine inch tall giant. I mean, these colorful images come to our mind. And what this man Daniel did, he took a very difficult situation and he took it to this king. He says, the king, I'm going to tell you something. God gave me the answer and here's what it's all about. And he described it to him. And God embedded this mind and he embedded in his mind so it would be unforgettable in the mind of Daniel. Let me tell you something. We have a God who can reveal secrets. Notice something else in chapter 2. Daniel was so excited, we see the adoration. It was called a prayer. Remember that? It was the first thing you do after God answers your prayer. What do you do? Where do you go? You know the first thing Daniel did? Look what he did here. This is why God used him. Verse 19 says, Then was the secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And we notice from verses 19 to 23, it's just a record of Daniel praising God and worshiping the Lord. You know, you've heard me say this sometimes during Thanksgiving time, that there are days and times I believe we need to have a Thanksgiving list equal to or greater than our prayer list. Come on, somebody help me with that. Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of our worship? Do we thank him enough times? I mean, if we as parents get a little concerned that our children do not thank us enough, how much more our Heavenly Father is concerned, who's omnipotent and all-knowing, and, uh, and He's everywhere at all times. How much more do you think He's concerned that we're not more thankful than we are? And so Daniel's thank him. And I want you to notice this here, because as we go into this coming Wednesday, as the Congress will be meeting and deciding about the Electoral College ballots and votes, or either they're going to decide that there's true election fraud, and there's going to be a fight there on the floor to determine there is true election fraud, or they're just going to say, no, we're not going to, we're not going to ignore that. We think that's all a bunch of junk, and we're just going to say, we're going to just go ahead and endorse and confirm the new president. And so, you know, it just, people look at that and they get discouraged. And I'm going to tell you what, whatever the decision is, whatever happens, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't change the fact, he's still on the throne. 
It doesn't change that fact. It doesn't change the fact. Notice what it says here. So Daniel got to praying, and Daniel got to blessing God. And the Bible says in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever. Oh, I love how Daniel praised God. He understood everything the Psalms taught. He understood everything about the elements of worship. Listen, get rid of those worship books and get into the true worship book. The Bible is the true worship book. The first thing he did, he said, Let's bless the name of the Lord. Why? Because if you study the names of God, everything about the attributes of God are embodied in his names. He's the God of hope. He's the God of comfort. He's the God of love. He's the God of hope. Listen, He's the Most High God. He's the Almighty God. He's the Everlasting God. He's the Everlasting Father, etc., etc., etc. He's the Alpha and Omega. Listen, He's the God who's coming again. He's blessing the name of God. And notice verse 21. This is what I was getting at here. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and forever, for wisdom and might are His. Now underscore that. And then He said, And He changes the times and the seasons. Oh, God can overthrow and upset elections. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He changes the times and the seasons. Not only does he do that, look, it gets better than that. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. Glory to God. Glory to God. Man, you ought to kick off your shoes and take your handkerchief and go like, whoa! I'm not a hillbilly, so I can't do that, amen? Brother Rich would, but I wouldn't do it, amen? He removeth the kings and set up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that don't understand. You know what he's saying there? God's in control. God is sovereign. There's no government greater than the government of God. There's no king that's greater than God. I realize we live in a world, we've got dictators, and we've got some terrible things going on in this world. And people wonder, does God, does God even care? Yes, God cares, and God's keeping count, but it's not his time. God has changed his times and the seasons. He's in control of all these things. And listen, we can get all worked up about elections, and we can get all worked up about constitutions, and we can get all worked up about losing our freedoms or gaining our freedoms, and we can get all worked up about stimulus checks, and we can get all worked up about tax breaks and no tax breaks and increase of taxes. We can get all worked up there. But I want to tell you what tonight, I read verse 21. Never mind tonight, is Daniel was praising God. God, he praised God that he changes the times, he changes the seasons, he removeth kings, he said, he said, bless the name of the Lord. He said in verse 22, he revealed the deep and secret things, he knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. And he said in verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has made, given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desire of thee, for thou hast, thou hast uh, made known unto me, unto us, the king's matter. You know what he did in verse 23? He says, Lord, it's not for me, it's from you. It's not from me, it's from you. Let me tell you what, any success you have is not from you, it's from him. Any wisdom you have is not from you, it's from him. Any talent you have is not from you, it's from him. Oh, look what I did. You didn't do anything. He did it. He did it. He built this church. He's still building the church, amen? He's not done with us yet. Acknowledge the deep and secret things of God. He said, you have made known unto me what we desire to thee. He said, Lord, you answered the prayer exactly what we asked for. He got the interpretation. He said, our lives are safe. Our lives are safe. There's a kingdom problem. There's a call to prayer. As I close, would you notice a confident profession? Profession. 
From that point, Daniel went to Arioch, who was given the command, kill all the wise men. Daniel goes into him, verse 24, he says, Arioch, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. There's a colon, it's just kind of like he stops, says, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Now, he's not the king. And Daniel could have been killed for saying that, if you know what I'm saying. Daniel could have been killed for saying that because he basically exerted himself. Perhaps he was probably overreaching, as we would say today. He was overreaching authority, but he did it in the right way. He said, now, Arioch, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Now, Arioch knew there was something uniquely different about these men of Judah. And he, he knew that they were praying, but they weren't praying to Babylonian gods. They knew they were praying to a god who can answer prayer. And he says, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. He says, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Now, there was no wise men in the kingdom that would say something like that, because none of them could do that. He says, bring me to the king. I will tell him what his dream is all about. And the Bible says in verse 25, Arioch brought Daniel in before the king in haste. He said, whoa, you know, <laughs> he said, there's authority here. There's a spiritual authority. He says, I'm going to bring him in haste. And he says, and look what he said, verse 25, I have found a man of the captives of Judah. You know what our world needs? It needs to find some men of God. It needs to find some Christians who have God's answer for their lives. That's what they need. I found a man of Judah, he said. A man of Judah, he says, that among the captives that will make known the, king, the interpretation. And so the king is a little skeptical about this and, and because he's had all these wise men who've been messed with him and he, he knew their games there. And so he said in verse 26, he said, Now, now Daniel, and he called him by his, by his Syriac or Chaldean name. He said, Now, Belteshazzar, that was a pagan name. Because he didn't want to mention the name of God. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And he did not want to mention the name of God. So he gave him the pagan name because the pagan name identified with the gods that he worshipped there. And he's thinking, well, he must have prayed to my God. So he called him Belteshazzar. Now they're going to call you a lot of things in this world. And they're going to call you a lot of things that are not pretty. And they're going to call you a lot of things that are not true. But you remember one thing. You are a child of God. And you are a Christian. And you're blood-bought. And you belong to God. And regardless of what people call you, never underestimate the fact or undermine the fact that you belong to God. Art thou able to make known to me the dream which I've seen, the interpretation thereof? He said, now, he was hoping for a humanistic answer. Art thou able? That's how we look at things. He's not able. Him? Her? You've got to be kidding. No way. Art thou able? And Daniel answered, verse 27, the presence of the king. And it says the present king, I imagine he looked him eyeball to eyeball. Mano o mano. I mean, he looked him right in the face. He said, he said, king, the secret which the king has demanded cannot the wise men and the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show the king. I love Daniel's, I love Daniel's response because that's everything I keep telling you week by week by week. I said, there's no man that can answer the spiritual problems in your life. Only God can take care of those spiritual problems in your life. There is no man. There's no man that can solve the economic crisis and mess we're in. Do you know that? No man that's going to solve, balance the budget. There's no man. No, Satan's going to raise up a man. He's called the Antichrist. But he's a fake. He's a fraud as well there too. Okay? Daniel says, no wise man. You know what Daniel's saying? King, before we get started, before I tell you your dream, there's no man, including me, is able to do this. 
We better be very, very careful. We've been given the blessing of God. We take any credit for the blessings of God. We better be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. Because that blessing will go away faster than you got it. It will. I said it will. It will. And he said, the secret does not get you to man no man can do. But now we get to verse 28, which is the core of the message which I'm going to end on. And Daniel, verse 28, gives the king a confident profession. He says, now there's no man, there's no magician, there's no astrologer, there's no soothsayer, there's nobody, there's no man alive that can answer the king's secret. But he said, but there's a God in heaven. But there's a God in heaven that reveals his secrets. He says, I want you to understand, now you call me Belteshazzar, and the Bible gives to the integrity of God's word. It does not call him Belteshazzar as we were referenced to Daniel. But as Daniel himself, it says in verse 27, Daniel answered. He didn't say Belteshazzar answered, it said Daniel answered. He said, but there is a God in heaven that reveals his secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for these, O God, for thee, O king, thy thoughts that came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealed his secrets make us known to thee what shall come to pass. He said, you know what? I want you to know something, king. You've been waiting all this time and you've been looking for some man to rise up and you're hoping there's a team of your astrologers and your magicians that could come up. But he said, there's no man, but I want to tell you something. There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. I remind you today, things look bleak and things look bad. Our country looks like it's going away from God. We have the word of God that was taken out of the schools. We have the Ten Commandments taken out of courtrooms. We have prayer removed out of schools. Now they're coming down and they're saying to Christian businesses they want they want equal opportunity employment where they cannot they cannot exercise their faith and the freedom of religion is trying to just be redefined and rewoke but I want to tell you what no matter how bad the world gets no matter what happens to the climate no matter what happens to the economy no matter what happens to the king no matter what happens to the president there's always going to be a God in heaven there is a God in heaven there is a God in heaven who's real there's a God in heaven who's alive there's a God in heaven who's all powerful there's a God in heaven who's most high somebody help me tonight there's a God in heaven who's everlasting. There's a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. There's a God in heaven who is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glories of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a God in heaven who said, I am the resurrection and life. And he that believeth on me shall never die. Listen, we have a God in heaven who cares. We have a God in heaven who gives us hope. We have a God in heaven who comforts us. We have a God in heaven who loves us. We have a God in heaven who answers prayer. We got a God in heaven who can save your soul tonight. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who cares about this world more than you care about this world. There's a God in heaven who's more concerned about your loved ones getting saved than you're concerned about them getting saved. There's a God in heaven who loves Heritage Baptist Church more than the sum total of everybody in this church. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who's in control of the tides and of the seasons. There's a God in heaven who setteth up kings and putteth down kings. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven that can do the impossible. There's a God in heaven who can calm your storms. There's a God in heaven who's for us and not against us. There's a God in heaven who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of, uh, time of need. There's a God in heaven who can cast out the demons. There's a God in heaven that can heal your sickness. There's a God in heaven who can answer your prayer. There's a God in heaven who can take away your insecurities. There's a God in heaven that can cure your depression. There's a God in heaven that can take away your anxieties and your worries. There's a God in heaven that can save that old unsaved husband, that old unsaved wife, that old unsaved child. There's a God in heaven. There's no sinner that he can save. Listen, I will tell you what. He can save to the uttermost. He can save to the God, to the uttermost, because there is a God in heaven. 
the God in heaven who's royal. There's a God who's only wise. There's a God in heaven who's the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's a God in heaven who never changes. There's a God in heaven whose power when he made the world, he spoke the word and the world came into existence. Let me tell you, he still has the same power right now to work in your life and mine. There's a God in heaven who invites you and I to go to prayer. He says, call to me and I'll answer thee and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. There's a God in heaven who says, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask you shall receive that your joy may be full. Listen, if you've lost your joy, if your joy's been dissipated, if the devil's take your joy, it's time to go to a God who loves you, the God in heaven who can give you back your joy. I want to tell you tonight, there's a God in heaven who promises us in Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me tell you what, we have a God, there's a God in heaven who has on, who's on, on a different timeline than you and I. There's a God in heaven who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to be repentant. There's a God in heaven who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a God in heaven who's more concerned about the governments than you and I will ever be concerned about the government. There's a God in heaven who's concerned about your life. He concerns, concerned about the very intricacies of your life. Hey, there's a God in heaven, young person, that's concerned about your graduation, that's concerned about where you go to school, that's concerned about you trusting God in faith. Listen, you're going to go to the world, and you're going to immerse yourself in community college and universities and get all these degrees and be learning all those things. But let me tell you what, you're going to be just like Daniel and his three young men, except they're going to excel with you because while they got all that training, they had one thing you don't have. They decided they would not defile themselves with the king's meat. Why? Because there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven that can give you boldness. There's a God in heaven that can teach you to pray. There's a God in heaven that can make you a great Christian. There's a God in heaven that can put you on the mission field and use you greatly for his glory. If you would just trust him and believe on him, there's a God in heaven that can use you. There's a God in heaven that can bless faith. There's a God in heaven that can get you through the storm. God, there's a God in heaven that can get you through that Red Sea. There's a God in heaven that can open that Jordan River. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. There's nothing too hard for him. The God in heaven who blesses faith. There's a God in heaven. He's real. He's alive. I said he's alive. He's all powerful. I mean, you can imagine Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I mean, they're sweating bullets for a few moments there. They're praying, God, you've got to help us. We Listen, Lord, we desire the mercies of God upon us right now. Lord, you've got to help Daniel give this interpretation. You've got to tell Daniel what this dream is all about. You've got to take the impossible and make it possible. They said, and by the way, Lord, keep us from getting killed with all the other wise men. And God answered the prayer. Why? Because he's the God in heaven. He's the God in heaven that can give you the job that you need. Not the job that you want, the job that you need. He's the God in heaven that builds churches. He's, he's the God in heaven that can save the heathen across the, the lands in the 1040 window who have never heard about God and who God is. He's the God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven that I pray to. I'm not praying to shelf gods. I'm not praying to inanimate God. I'm praying to the God who's real, the God of heaven. Who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's a God in heaven. That's what Daniel said. But there's a God in heaven who is really secret. You know what our problem is? We believe in God. We believe in a God that's this big. Not a God in this that's this big. Come on, help me now. Come on. Your job is not your God. I said your job is not your God. Your portfolio is not your job. God is the reason you have a job. God is the reason you have anything that you have right now. And by the way, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a God in heaven. 
I mean, Job had his times of trial, but he learned there's a God in heaven. Elijah had his hard times, but he learned there's a God in heaven. Elisha took the mantle of Elijah, and as he took it up, he picked it up. He says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters, and the waters parted here, there, and there. There's a God in heaven. He can part your waters as well there, too. A God in heaven. Paul was on that ship in Acts chapter 27. The sun and the moon and stars were gone for days on end. All they saw was darkness. The Bible describes it this way. It said, all hope that we should be saved was lost. But then the Bible says God came to him, and he recognized there's a God in heaven. There's a God. And in your deepest storm, your most horrible situation, in the past of loved one, there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who has compassion on you. There's a God in heaven who gives you comfort in the midst of your storm. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who will take care of you in your retirement years. There's a God in heaven who will take care of you as you go. We're, we're expecting a, a large number of mothers giving birth next year in, in, in our church. There's a God in heaven, moms, that will take care of those little babies. Our greatest fear right now, we're so behind the eight ball in this, our greatest fear right now is where are the children going to get educated at? The public schools. The spirit of Antichrist is in the public schools. I said the spirit of Antichrist is in the public schools. I hate to tell you this, Christian school is not exactly the answer either. You need spirit-filled teachers. Walking with God. For teaching is not a job. Teaching is a joy. That's why the Bible doesn't say teach your children the way they should. It says train up your child. There's involvement. There's interaction. It's having fun. It's being serious. Train up a child in the way you should go. There's a God in heaven. Samuel learned there was a God in heaven. Moses saw there was a God in heaven. There were young children. They saw there was a God in heaven. John the Baptist learned growing up there's a God in heaven. Hey, do you know that there's a God in heaven? Do your children know there's a God in heaven? Do your children know that you believe in God? Do your children know that you have a faith that's great in God? Do your children even know that you can get a hold of God? I'm telling you tonight, there is a God in heaven that reveals his secrets. The God in heaven whose kingdom shall never end. The God in heaven who's holy and just and must judge the sins of men. The God in heaven who through his son Jesus Christ died for the sins of all the world. There's a God in heaven who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what Daniel's doing there? You understand what Daniel's doing there? He got an audience with the most powerful man on planet earth at that time. And he made a confident profession. If God gave you one chance like that, what would you do? Would you blow it? Or would you tell it? What would you do? What would you do? If you were taken into the room of a powerful CEO, a powerful surgeon, an intellectual of a think tank, would you tell him there's a God in heaven? That's what Daniel did. That's what Daniel did. There's a God in heaven. Go over a couple pages here. Notice as we close, he told about these kingdoms. But he told him about something that got a hold of his mind. That he wanted to make sure the king heard. Because as he gave him this prophecy about the kingdom, we tend to forget that the prophecy was not so much to elaborate upon the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and the succeeding kingdoms of, of Medo-Persia and Greece and, and Rome. It was really that God wanted to understand there's a kingdom bigger than that. A kingdom that shall never end. By the way, the kingdom of our God shall never end. 
And he said in verse 34, thou sawest, thou sawest. Now he said, this is why you can't remember it. He says, you saw this dream till the stone was cut out without hands. Now that's amazing. How do you cut stone out without hands? He says, thou sawest till thou saw a stone that was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, the iron and clay, and break them to pieces. You know what he's talking about there? That's Jesus, the God in heaven. He says, there's a stone cut out of the rock, and he says, he smote, the piece, he smote this image and broke it in pieces. That's what Jesus does to every messed up nightmare and dream. He breaks it up in pieces. Listen, you can have all these grandiose dreams and ideas about all these things you want to do, but it's going to be broken to pieces if God is not in the center of that dream. Then he went on in verse 44, and he says, excuse me, verse 45. No, excuse me, verse 44, and he says, and in, those day, and in the days of these kings, he's talking now past, he's now getting us into the, the, the uh, past the, uh, the, the tribulation, you get through the tribulation, and we get into the millennial period. And he says, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume till these kingdoms... Uh, all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever for as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and they'd break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay the silver and the gold the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure and he's telling him there's a kingdom coming greater than your kingdom a kingdom that shall never end that destroy other kingdoms and no other kingdom is going to revolt against why because there's a God in heaven and it's his kingdom that shall forever stand why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Is he your God? Is he your God? Do you believe that this God in heaven can answer your prayer? Do you believe this God in heaven is the God in Hebrews 4.16 who says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace. Happening? Or is he just a little God like this and not a big God like this? There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Don't talk to me about, about your pragmatism. There's a God in heaven. Don't talk to me about, talk to me about your idea day. There's a God in heaven. Don't, don't talk about your new evangelical philosophy. There's a God in heaven. Don't tell me about new business philosophies and church growth movements and all that shenanigans. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Church, it's a new year. Let's get on our faces tonight. We're... Get on our faces tonight and humble ourselves before the God of heaven. Daniel said, I thank thee, O Lord. Because we're going to make it this year. We're only going to make it because there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. We must believe in faith that he, that God is and that he's a rewarder. That means he answers prayer. A rewarder of them they diligently seek Him. There's a God in heaven who wants your fellowship. There's a God in heaven who wants all your heart. There's a God in heaven who wants you to meet Him in a daily devotional time. These men got into a prayer group. Please get in a prayer group. We've got about 70, 80 people already. My wife got about eight or nine ladies in a prayer group for this week already. There's a God in heaven. I want you to see God's power at work. I want you to see God do things you cannot do. There's a God in heaven. I tell you stories about things. I don't have time tonight. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. He's real. He's true. 
He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's waiting. And He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming for me. He's coming for you if you're saved. He's coming. There's a God in heaven that can help you pass your difficult decisions, the trials you face, the burdens you carry, the shame that somebody brought into your life. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven that can forgive you your sins right now. He can save your soul and reserve a place in heaven for you because that God in heaven through His Son said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. There's a God in heaven. He's my God. Is He your God? There's a God in heaven.